Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm going to be your host, Herdana Osband, here with my friend, Chabruta and Gordon. Our dap today, Masafatani, Daf Hey, page five. Well, we have our second Mishnah, and I'm just going to point out, this is like a pretty quick second Mishnah. Usually, the Gemara spends, uh, you know, anywhere from eight to ten dap, and very often on the first one. Um, and it reads as follows. So now the question is, for how long does one request rain for? Um, and again, when we talk about Sholin, that is the Tain Tal Matarli Bracha, right in the Bracha, uh, in the middle section of the Shmon Esrei, not the Mashiva Rochum Morit Hagashem. Rabbi Yehuda Mer Pesach. Rabbi Yehuda says, until uh, Pesach has ended. Rabbi Meir Mer Nisan. Rabbi Meir says, until Nisan is over. Shenemar Bayeret Lachem Geshem so they quote here a pasuk uh, from Yoel, um, from one of the Treasar, chapter 2, verse 23, where it says, And Hashem causes to come down for you the rain, the first rain, and the last rain in the first month. So that first month is Nisan. So it indicates that that first month uh, is, uh, that first month, the entire month is considered to be uh, part of the uh, rainy season. Um, and then, you know, just the Gemara basically wants to go through here. I'm really Rav Nachman, Rav Yitzchak, Yo Rav Nisan. So Rav, Yit, Rav Nachman says to Rav Yitzchak, right, Yo Rav Nisan, do we really have like what Yora is? And this is one of the things we're going to, tomorrow's stuff is going to get into this more is there's not just Gesha, you know, for a, for a land that's very dependent on rain, there's different types of rain. And so Yora is sort of that first rain. And so basically, I just want to I just want to interrupt and note that even nowadays, when that first like real pouring, you know, outpouring of the heavens type of thing that happens in Israel, you'll see like there's great joy in the streets and people kind of just kind of stand around and marvel at the Yorah, meaning that is it is still this term is still in use for that exact thing. Right. Thank you. So um, so he's basically saying, how could you have the Yorah then? Right. It's not right. We learned in a Mishnah. Right, the rain that first rain happens in Marchashvan, the Yora. Malkush, which is sort of this last rain, is what happens in Nisan. And so then it says, This is what Rabbi Yochanan says, in the days of Yoel ben Putiel, right? So it says that which they, there's a very, very famous, uh, Nivuah, very famous prophecy. I, I ask all of you should go into Yoel and actually look at it, where there's all these types of locusts and, and other types of locusts. There's like four types of locusts that are going to come and destroy the land. Um, and so it says there that what the planter worm has left, right, the locust has uh, has eaten. Um, so it says in that year of that prophecy, right, the month of Adar ended and there was still no rain. And so the first rain actually fell on the first of uh, of Nisan. Um, and then the Gemara is going to go through a whole series of discussions between Rav Nachman and Rabbi Yitzchak. Rav Nachman basically asked Rabbi Yitzchak, what is the meaning of a particular pasuk? And then uh, Rabbi Yitzchak gives an explanation that Rabbi Yochanan uh, gives. So, so really what a lot of this stuff deals with it is really just biblical interpretation. It's just going through a different uh, group of psukim. And sort of once we have this conversation between Rav Nachman and Rabbi Yitzchak, and then Rabbi Yitzchak sharing the teachings of Rabbi Yochanan, 
the Gemara is just going to sort of, you know, continue on that and share many of these teachings. So these teachings are exactly what I wanted to speak about. It took me a little while when I was preparing to say, like, you know, what do each of these topics have to do with each other? And really what they have to do with each other is that they were a conversation between Rav Yitzchak, or rather Rav Yitzchak's um, formulation, or Rav Nachman's formulation to Rav Yitzchak, you know, it happens repeatedly. And sometimes the, the response is a citation from Rabbi Yochan, but more often not, really. And it's, I would say this is, you know, straight up um, interpretation of biblical verse, which I think, you know, shows the intellectual life of Chazal to a certain degree, or at least these two figures of Chazal, because they're not really talking about halacha, right? It's not like the, there's something practical that needs to be determined. And it's not a long-standing philosophical discussion. It is literally these psukim were on, you know, their minds. And this question, which is asked, you know, each time, my, like, what does it mean? What does each one of these mean? So I'm not going to go through all of them because, A, there's really a whole bunch. And B, um, you know, that's just in the interest of time. And B, you know, I think that once you have that structure, once you know that that's what's going on, um, I think it becomes much more palatable or whatever to to figure out what what is being asked. So, um, I don't know, towards the very bottom of Ahmed Aleph, which is in the middle of these lists of questions, we've got, So this question is, Rav Nachman says to Rav Yitzchak, it's a, it's a verse in your meow, which is not so intelligible. Each one of these has its challenges, right? Where the translation of the verse is, you know, with one, they were brutish and foolish. The teaching of their vanity is a stock. So I'm reading the translation just in the, rather than going through word by word in the interest of time. And then here we do have Rabbi Yochanan's answer. Um, so we have here, so the, the idea is that one one sin, one violation, will cause the wicked to literally, it says to burn in Gehenna, right? What, but what kind of violation could be that bad? And the answer is, of course, idolatry, right? And then we've got a comparison, which again, from the one verse to another verse, the um, the teaching, Musar, the teaching of their um, vanity, Havalim, like from Hevel Havel Havalim from Kohelet, um, their vanity is a stock eight two. And is written there, meaning about idols, so that their vanity is a work of delusion. But the the you've got a linguistic connection here from Hevel to Hevel that then you the inference is drawn to say, well, that's about that's about idolatry, and this is about the punishment, and it puts them together. Um, next, so Rav Nachman says to Rav Yitzchak, what does it mean? And again, here's another verse from Jeremiah. For my people have committed two evils. Meaning, what are these two evils? Were there, there were 24 violations that were listed in the book of Yechezkel, right, that had been that would um, had been set aside, meaning they weren't supposed to be punished for them. So Rav Yochanan, again, here we do have Rav Yochanan. Perhaps I was wrong in thinking that Rav Yochanan doesn't show up in all of them. But in the next one, I think he really does not. Um, so he says, so he says that we've got two that were that were corresponding to to others. Um, they violated one, one sin. 
that is equivalent to two, meaning that's how bad it is. What is it? Again, Avodazara. So the the push here to interpret Avodazara as the greatest evil is quite evident. And we have another verse. And this is still, again, from Jeremiah. Again, the same verse, right? It's, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, meaning Hashem, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns. And then we've got another verse about the Jewish people. The other verse is also in Jeremiah. It's right before the first one. They pass over the isles, meaning islands, of the Kitim. Kitim is, you know, a whole other group of people. And they send to Kedar and look carefully and see if there's been no such thing. Meaning, the the Gemara here says, I'm sorry, it's Elohim, not Elohim, because it's talking about um, Avodazara, right? Has has the nation, meaning the Jewish people, exchanged its gods, you know, specifically um, Avodazara gods, although there are no gods, and then um, and it concludes, my people has exchanged its glory for something that does not have any purpose, that does has no purpose. So again, it's really panning of Avodazara, it's panning idolatry, and this time there's, you know, kind, kind of concrete examples from the society around. Um, and then we kind of move off this model for just a moment of this, let's discuss what the verses means. We've got a breita that's going to support it. Tana kutiim ovdim laesh. Kutiim, these are the people who lived in the island of Kitim, and they would worship fire. The Kedarim ovrin lamaim, and the people from Kedar, who are also mentioned in the verse, the people from Kedar of Dim Lamaim, they would worship water. So even though all these people knew that water will extinguish fire, they didn't change their God. Meaning, they didn't say, oh, your God, the water, is more powerful than my God, the fire, so let me switch my God, the fire, for the your God, the water, which should remind us all of the, you know, the debate that takes place um, between Avraham, it's a Midrash in Breshit Rabbah about Avraham and Nimrod debating, um, well, it's debating monotheism, right? Which God is going to be more powerful? And they play what I call a game of rock, paper, scissors, right? Which is basically this, right? Who, who which God is going to be stronger, water, fire, and eventually Avraham's point is Hashem, which is not part of the, you know, the nat- the natural world. Hashem is not part of the natural world in a way that makes him, you know, God as opposed to any of a desire that people might concoct. Um, and then the last one, or maybe there's two more. I would say that we're going to do here. Rav Nachman to Rav Yitzchak, Rav Nachman la Rav Yitzchak. My dektiv vayhika asher zakein Shmuel. Says, what is the meaning of this verse, which is in the book of Shmuel, chapter eight? It came to pass when Shmuel was old. Um, how old was Shmuel that he got so old that they're going to talk about him when he was old? He was 52 years old when he died, which I can tell you at one point I might have thought that was old, but really, really no longer, as I think many of our listeners can relate. This is not an old age. 
So what does it mean, right? That he, that he that it speaks of Shmuel as being old. So we understand that we that that one who dies before the age of fifty-two is considered premature, who's considered someone who's had a young a too young death, right? As compared to if you've reached the age of fifty-two, which is the age of Shmuel. Shmuel Haramati, Shmuel the Prophet, then um, that's not premature, which of course is absurd to modern ears. I can tell you this um, again, right? Meaning we all know this. So I bring it here not because I think it's a little bit frightful, although I do, but because I think it highlights another aspect of, you know, where our lives have changed um, from what norms were present in the in the Torah, in the Navi. And, and the prophets, and also, frankly, in the Gemara, because they wouldn't be talking about him as having achieved any status, even the youngest stage of old age, if 52 at that time had not been, in fact, the beginning, let's say, of old age. Amrle, and then Rav Yitzchak says to Rav Nachman, and here we again have Rav Yochanan, Hachi Amar Rav Yochanan, Zikna Kaftsa Alav, old age sprang upon Shmuel, meaning so that he looked older than he actually was, he says, I regret that I'm, Shmuel said in the book of Shmuel that he regrets that he made Shaul king. There's so many reasons that could be a discussion. He says, Shmuel says to God, you made me the equivalent of Moshe and Aaron. We have a verse from Tehillim that puts and one half of the verse talks about Moshe and Aaron, and the other half of the verse talks about Shmuel. So then that puts them in in um, parallel to each other, which is a form of equation. And then this is, you know, Shmuel's question to God. So just as Moshe and Aaron did not, their, everything that they accomplished in their lifetimes was not um, canceled out during their lifetimes, so too Shmuel accepts the fact that his, what he's accomplished in his life is not going to be canceled out. And so the request to God is, you know, because Shmuel anointed Shaul, King Saul, he says it's basically a plea to God to not cancel Shaul's reign as king in his day. So God then says, well, what shall I do? Meaning he has to cancel Shaul's reign. Because David Hamelach has to become well, David has to become Hamelach. He has to become the king. Limot Shaul loka shavik Shmuel. Limot Shmuel adzutar meranane abatre. So what happens? God says, if Shaul dies now, that's not fair to Shmuel. Shmuel won't allow it. He's asked that Shaul not die. Does it? It's not fair to that Shmuel should die young, right? See, the Gemara here does acknowledge that fifty-two is not at all an old age. Um, Shmuel, should Shmuel die young and then Shaul's going to die right afterwards? And then it says everybody's going to, they're going to murmur about it. It's going to be a whole cause of rumors and trouble, right? But if neither of them die, we're hitting the point of the reign of David. We can't allow the kingdom, we. God can't allow the kingdom of David to overlap with the kingdom of Shaul. So, therefore, Amar Kadosh Baruch Hu, Pizza Lav Zikna, Ainu Dekhtiv, Shaul Yoshev, Begiv Atachat 
Brahma. So God says, you know, what? I'm going to bring him old age. Shmuel is going to become old elderly. We've got a verse talking about Shaul dwelling in the Giva, um, in the Rama. Why do we have both of these terms? What do these things have to do with each other? They're two different places. Why did Shaul live in the Giv'ah over there for two and a half years? Because Shmuel prayed on behalf of Shaul that he should continue. So, the, and the Gemara goes on here, and I, you know, to, to conclude, right, you know, like, why would God set aside one man for the other man, meaning why would Shmuel's life be cut short because it's time for David? That does not sound fair at all. And I will say again, as we keep saying, this is really grounds for a very long and intensive discussion, philosophical and and religious and so on, um, which we're not going to have. But just know that it's there. That's part of what this Gemara is really all about, talking about when one's life is cut short and, and what the terms of it could be. And I would say that at the end of this Gemara, we conclude that the Gemara recognizes that 52 is not actually old age, and the external motivations, apparently, that brought Shmuel's life to a to a close sooner than, you know, it, it should have been, um, is kind of, the Gemara kind of, I don't know if it rationalizes, but we have an explanation from God that he made Shmuel old prematurely. Prematurely meaning like he jumped he jumped Shmuel's old age experience, I believe, as opposed to it just being a a matter of he has to be out of the world for the sake of David. Um it's troubling. It's a difficult piece of Gemara. There's no question about it. Um and but it's also, I think, fodder for really a lot of discussion about how God runs the world and what does it mean to they say that something is bashert and what gets put out of the way for some for one thing to be bashert. What does that mean for the next thing to be bashert? Um, right. and, and also that the Gemara sort of so uh, firmly declares that it understands the workings of the world as well. So it, it's it's a problematic, uh, it does make you question, I think, a lot of like how the world actually works. Um, I'm going to finish up this Gemara with, uh, well, today's episode with a very famous uh, Gemara, actually, that we just couldn't uh, not read. And so this sort of, is the end of the conversation with Rav Nachman and Rabbi Yitzchak, and it has a very famous blessing here, right? Right. So when uh, you know when they were going to leave each other, Amarle Rav Nachman says to Rav Yitzchak, right? Give me my teacher, my you know master, give me a blessing. Amarle, and he says to him, "I'm right? He says, "I'm gonna give you an analogy." What is this like? It's like a man who walks in the desert and he's um, hungry, tired, and thirsty. And he finds a tree whose fruits are sweet and whose shade was pleasant and a stream of water flowed beneath it. He eats from the fruits of the tree, drank from the water in this, you know, water, and sits in the shade of the tree. And when the man's ready to leave, Amar, he says, Right? Tree, tree, what will I bless you in? Right? If I'll say that your fruit should be sweet, your fruit is already sweet. I should say your shade should be pleasant. Your shade is already pleasant. Right, <laughs> water should flow beneath you. 
Water already flows beneath you. So rather it should be what? That all the saplings that come from you, that are planted from you, should be like you. And with what should I, so then what, so then, you know, Rabbi Yitzchak is basically saying, so what should I bless you with, Rav Nachman? Right? If with Torah, you already have Torah. Right? If it's with wealth, you already have wealth. And if with children, you already have children. I know I'm reading from the top of the next stop. Rather, it should be that your offspring uh, should be like you. Um, so this is a very, very famous passage. And the only other thing I could think about this is, is that I wonder if this somehow does connect a little bit with their discussion about Shmuel, because we do know that famously Shmuel's children didn't really follow in Shmuel's footsteps. So when Shaul actually becomes king, Shmuel says out loud that he wishes that his children could have taken over for him and they actually weren't allowed to. And so I also wonder if there's sort of a little bit of a connection here between this blessing and just having discussed Shmuel. I was thinking that also as you were speaking. I also just want to say that, you know, this has become a thing. This passage has become so famous. Now you can like, you know, look in the walls of people as a it's a lovely gift to give people, right? The people who have everything who are also so kind and wonderful and so on, that it becomes a a passage, I would say, that is more familiar because we want this blessing and we want to give this blessing. And where it comes from, meaning the context of Shmuel or not, Masachatanit or not, it doesn't matter because it's just that beautiful. You know, and I would say the one other thing I would say is I always think about how this is in great contrast and with this we'll close and we won't delve into it too much, but to the giving tree. That's all. That's all I have to say about that. Yes, I thought about that as well. Though now the giving tree has fallen out of favor, but we can discuss <laughs> that at another time. But well, that's, that's what that's I mean. Da- this is this right. is this is a completely different bracha let's say then the giving tree like uh whatever like i said well, we're the not giving tree is that the tree gives and gives and gives and is mistreated but <laughs> for a discussion another time well that's our top discussion for the day rank is reviews and all major podcasts thank you to robin e michelle farber for hosting us on the hydra website let us know what you thought about this stuff on our talking time on facebook page and until tomorrow go and learn